This is civil protection! Let's go check it out. Nothing here, man. I don't understand it. I know I saw something. Maybe it's just light reflecting off a rock. Nah, it was something different. I know that much. We better check the side tunnels so we can find out what that screaming was. I normally say to split up, but these tunnels are a maze. Plus, our radio range is probably pretty weak. You take point. I'll be behind you. And you were listening to a cut from uh, Damien's pick this week, Civil Protection, the Tunnel which is a lot of fun, and we'll be talking about that in, uh, very soon. This is, and now for something completely machinima podcast for October. Our theme is horror and Halloween. Uh, each of us have chosen a film or films, and we're going to talk about them here. It's my favorite part of our uh, podcast because the films are usually so good. I'm so happy. We're going to start right out with Damien, your pick, which is the civil protection, the Tunnel. Can you tell us about why you chose this film and who did it? Um, yeah, so I'm going to tell a story about how I came across this film originally, which was at Dragon Con, and it must have been at least 10 years ago, because uh, they had the Mishima screenings that were part of the show. And it was late at night in a very remote part of this hotel, so was, there's no one around except for the people who were watching it, which... I'm going to admit there weren't that many there because, it, again, it's late at night and people were off partying or they're really tired and whatever. So this film came up on the, um, as one of the, the films that were being screened. And because of the time and being tired and there was hardly anyone around, it was so creepy. <laughs> and it, it, and it started off as kind of fun and then it kind of took this darker, creepier tone and just got worse and worse and more and more twisted as it went on. And... I wasn't actually sure if I'd at one point if I dozed off because I was tired myself and it had gone to a different film, but no, it was the same one. It, it just took <laughs> this really twisted turn and um, it was very memorable. So when I thought, well, we're going to be doing Halloween films this, uh, this month, I thought this is perfect because of just the way that film made me feel. And I wanted to share it with you guys. I don't know if you'd seen it before, but, I just loved the whole thing and you know, the two guys that, you know, you don't expect them to encounter these monsters and all these other things going on under this, in this tunnel. And um, I just thought you'd be perfect for, for the show. And I, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it as well. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. I remember this one from back uh, when, when it came out. Um, I can't remember the main filmmaker's name. He voices one of the characters in this. Uh, is it Ross? Like Ross Scott? I, I may be completely confusing that. I but. think it is Ross Scott, yes. <clears throat> yes, by uh, Cursed Farms on um, on the YouTube channel. Yeah, I feel like one of the voices, one of the characters is Ross Scott, who went on to do Freeman's Mind, if you remember. Right, yes, I yeah. think so. Um, I think that's the same guy. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, was, I, I had seen this back when it came out. I followed... Uh, uh, Civil protection. I mean, there were several movies, I believe, in in, in that uh, with that brand on them. And um, this is when I was following him. And uh, who else was? Zachariah Scott was involved with Robert Stoneman, and they were making a lot of stuff in the Source Engine. I was what I was surprised about was when I saw the title, you know, of Damien's pick. Before I clicked through the link to watch it again, I thought, man, that's an oldie, you know, which is similar to my pick, which is coming up in a minute. I was really surprised how well it held up. Yes, um, me too. Like just yeah, the I... the style of the filmmaking, the the, the look of the graphics. Um, yeah, every, everything about it held up very nicely. Um, I like the fact that while some of the some of the dialogue between them is a little bit on the nose for those of us who know the Half Life Two world, you know that what right. of them openly says at one point, I think, uh, you know, you know, if we're gonna live under an alien, uh, uh, you know. Totalitarian, whatever, and I just thought, well, that that's not something for the Half Life Two fan base. But then I realized, well, they're trying to make it accessible. Yeah, and really, yeah. somebody who doesn't know the story behind that game world, who isn't as obsessed with it like Ricky and I were, then then they could still get this, you know. Yes, and yeah. and I thought it worked well. Uh, I admired, maybe with some new eyes, the use of the head nod 
mm-hmm. in in you know in another Halo like there is no lip sync you know with these characters kind of situation and it worked well like it was puppeteered very well so uh, yeah I enjoyed it and and yeah the twist of uh, it it turning very Halloweenish was uh, was nice. Well, it was a great film. I actually really enjoyed it. It got kind of a little bit of a feel of Homer Simpson in in Double, uh, and and the and the spooks that well they're achieved really with sound and wandering around in the dark with this kind of weird ambient dark noise, which was incredibly well done. I thought yes, great voice acting and storytelling across all these characters, um, which kind of seemed to be. Um, balanced and well justified with their representation in the in the plot i think by halfway through the film at about i think it was little little over 14 and a half minutes the hairs on the back of my neck started to stand up (laughs) (laughs) i had that same type thing when i was uh, originally (laughs) well these these kind of two hapless wits were about to become the victims of something really nasty yeah, it was just yeah. really great on this sort of build-up and I, I just didn't want to see it happen yeah. so I, I almost sort of felt like screaming at the screen <laughs> don't go in there don't split up don't do yeah. this don't do that but actually that bit then goes on for a bit too long and I go off the boil a bit really so I thought yeah. there was a little bit of um an an overplaying of that it just couldn't sustain that level of suspense yeah. Yeah, it got um, a little bit too long uh, wandering in the tunnels. Yeah. In fact, the whole yeah. movie was a little long. They could have cut five minutes out of it and moved it along uh, much faster and it would have been more effective. Absolutely. And then the, then the reveal at the end was, was well, I mean, by, because I'd gone off the boil by then, actually I thought it was a bit funny. And <laughs> um, But that very, very last shot after the credits totally freaked me out <laughs> totally freaked me out so but but i i just thought it was really really very very good but what i i thought was interesting here was their use of motion capture uh because i noticed that um, michael nikonoff was one of the team and he's ipi soft's um ceo um so that's the you know i'm guessing what they used is markerless mocap for this that's right um, mm. which i think is quite interesting um, and then they sort of mentioned in the credits that they brought in assets from Counter-Strike and Doom 3 and Zombie Panic and a bunch of other games. But I don't, I didn't quite get what they created it in. I'm not really sure what they created it in. Do you, do you, do you know what it was created in? Um, I believe it was just Half-Life 2 and they, but because of the Source Engine, they were able to import all this other content uh, because okay. they're all Source Engine games, but. Yeah, Source Engine I, had the ability to do that kind of thing, that importing, but it wasn't it wasn't ventured into by a lot of filmmakers because it there was a lot of it yeah, was technically the, very difficult at the time. The learning curve was quite high. Yeah, so some real skill went into mm. to bringing that those assets in. I think. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I was very impressed with the ideas in the film. Um, I mean, you take this you take this game, this Half Life Two game, which is a grim. Uh, resistance, rebellion against totalitarian aliens. And then you put this sort of uh, uh, sitcom cops in the middle of it as the, as these terrible, I mean, if you're in the game and you meet these guys, they're terrible, but turning them into these sort of witless fellows who just can't, they, no matter what comes up, they're always complaining about, something you know what i mean and then putting them into this situation i think is very very funny um and I, and very uh, smart too i thought and then adding that weird layer of lovecraft in the middle where it's suddenly the book he starts reading from the diary and it becomes creepier and creepier you know i just thought it was a very witty uh, production that i thought managed to do exactly what uh, they wanted it to, which was be funny and scary at the same time, and and yet at the, and yet it it read very well as a movie. It didn't have the typical flaws of a of a machinima film where you see jerky animation or or something like that. Yeah, there's I think, great care put into it. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, of course, this is an older film, and it wasn't as easy uh, to to do it back then. But I think it could have benefited from some color work in the film to modern, you can grab Da Vinci resolve um, the modern Da Vinci resolve, bring in your footage and do all sorts of interesting color work with it where you make colors pop 
make the dark look different, add vignetting to it. Uh, but it's still, even if you did that, it would only make the visuals look nicer. At the core, it's really a fun film, and I enjoyed it very much. Great pick for, for Halloween, Damien. I'm glad you all enjoyed it. All right, let's move on to Phil's interesting pick, Burger Shot. That's spelled B-U-R-G-E-U-R, second word, S-H-O-T-T-E, by Zachariah Scott. Uh, Phil, tell us why you picked this film and about it. Yeah, uh, as I'd mentioned uh, on the previous film, Zachariah Scott was one of the the filmmakers back in the day that I, I followed. Um, he had uh, exhibited great skill, was very picky about the projects that he would work on. And just one day, this this film just, he just kind of just threw it out there. Not a lot of fanfare, just boom, here's this. And it's made in Grand Theft Auto uh, 4. Yeah, it would have to be 4. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very strange. I mean, I pick it for Halloween, not so much. There's no jack-o'-lanterns or anything in this, but um, it just has this uh, disturbing vibe to it. Um, the, the general story, if you will, is a, a guy walks into a fast food joint, is kind of overwhelmed. Oh, he's very uh, heavyset, uh, obese guy. Actually, Tracy... <laughs> Tracy remarked in our pre-show note, she says, is, is that Michael Moore? Uh, I don't think so, but the resemblance is, is a little uncanny. Um, but yeah, he walks into this fast food joint, is kind of overwhelmed by the, the propaganda. And then at that point, Zach kind of does a little bit of Quentin Tarantino maneuvers with time where you're seeing him flee the scene at the end and, and then it ends with him pulling a gun and you're not really sure what happened, but it seems like something good didn't happen. Um, so just very interesting. I, I, it doesn't, doesn't really fit the mold of anything else that Zach ever produced. Uh, it didn't get a whole lot of attention compared to some of his other stuff, but it's by far the favorite thing I've ever seen him make. Maybe just because it was so different. Um, the inner splicing of that, spider and bird uh you know scenes in the middle of it to this predator prey uh metaphor that he was using to emphasize the message he was trying to get across about uh this this guy uh who is you know overweight and feels preyed upon by this industry that's designed to get him to consume more of this garbage just really uh, <clears throat> Interesting messaging, um, more political, if you will, than, again, anything that I ever saw him make. Uh, and to me, even though I never got to talk to him about the film, it just, to me, it struck me as more personal because of that, that this was something he has feelings about. Um, this isn't a tech demo, which, not insulting Zach at all, a lot of his stuff, though, was really to show off what he can do inside the engine that's really special this one wasn't doing anything like that, really. It was, this was a message. It was a story. It was an expression of a feeling. And uh, I, it surprised me at the time that I saw it. And it's always hung with me when I think of him. That's the first film of his I think of, even though it's probably the last one that he's known for. Zach went on, by the way, to, he was one of the abductees uh, from the machinima community who went on to work for I think at first it was BioWare and he's with some other game development company now. So um, his demo reel uh, approach definitely worked. Uh, he got noticed and and has made a career out of it. And I congratulate him for that. But I, I always go back to this simple little GTA film that's, that's creepy and disturbing and has a unmistakable message to it. I just really enjoyed it. What did you guys think? Public health message. Supremo, yeah. definitely. Death by Burger. Yeah. With an homage to Michael Moore. <laughs> in the way that it's been told. And I think that comes through, actually, in the politicising of it. That's true. That's the other element, not just yes. the resemblance of the main character, but the, yeah, the, the type of message. Uh, yes. It does fall in with more stuff, absolutely. Yeah. Well done. Nice mess. Nice um Nice film, horrific in a different way. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And you, you get the you get the whole feel that how 
this guy is completely overwhelmed by everything. He's obviously, he's hungry and he goes in and then everything's there just in his face and he just can't stand it anymore and you, you really get that feel for it. And the whole cutting between everything really emphasises that a bit more as well because um, it makes it more distorted and you can tell that he's not really in, in the best frame of mind if what you're seeing isn't the way that you would normally see things. Yeah, you know, let me ask I, you. Go ahead. Go I was going to say, is Michael Moore a character in GTA? No, I don't think so. So how did he do that? That's just one of the NPCs in the game. So it does look like Michael Moore then. Yeah. Well, it could be when they were designing it, the person saw Michael Moore and said, "I'll use his face when they were designing the the piece." Or just made um, someone, you know, inspired by. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I was so impressed with this film uh, and I had for, forgotten Zachariah Scott's uh, movies and I slapped myself for doing that because he's one of our best. He really is. Yes. If you go back over his work, um, this short horror film uh, packs so much that in such a short space to be able to, to, to create a world, to create a character in a story yes. in, in, in such a short period of time is really an achievement. And then if you look at the massive amount of GTA films that are made, they're all the same. They all tend to be the generic bad guys on the run. They, they reflect the stories that are inside of the world. Be, being able to take, it, take that game and then create your own story that reflects the game is a creative act. And I thought that uh, Zachariah was extremely creating creative in this the way he shot it the angles the the interesting as you said the interesting flux of time the sort of saturated color yes. in, in the thing that makes you sort of feel grimy and gritty it, it connects to horror films not only with its theme but its look too it's got the horror film look i would have wished it was just a tiny bit longer perhaps um Maybe a little bit more of the uh, central character's life uh, before the before he goes into the restroom, or no, I mean the restaurant, <laughs> so we could have. Uh, I'm obsessed with restrooms, obviously. Freudian slip there, <laughs> but more of a little bit of his life, sitting alone in his apartment or something like that. So you have a little more empathy, but then again, I think the point is not to have empathy with him but the political point is the point yeah, of I think it. so, so perhaps it would have been a different kind of film if he had done that but anyway i just thought it was an outstanding choice uh, i wished he would have made more films like this and i wish more yes. filmmakers would get inspired to do this in uh, grand theft auto because now you have the tools to be able to create some interesting things and i hope this is an inspiration all right let's move on to my pick um I had a whole bunch of movies that I chose, but I realized that I don't want to overwhelm the film section. So I, I went to the one that I thought was the best. And it's a modern film called Irradiation by Sava Zivkovic. Uh, it's a Russian film shot in Unreal Engine, uh, captured in real time. Um, I chose it because, A, it's horrific and it's very moody and very well done, but also because it's from the Unreal Engine and it shows you what you can do with Unreal Engine with a solo filmmaker. Uh, the performances are excellent in it. The whole look of the thing is beautiful. The story um, is uh, builds slowly to a sort of Lovecraftian climax. Uh, I really liked it, and I'm curious to see what you guys think of it. I like that you don't get any answers of any kind of what's going on. Like you don't know who these people are. You don't know why the world looks the way it does. You don't know what the object is. Um, I say object because they don't really describe it. You can see it, um, but you'd have no idea what, why it's there, what it is, what it's doing. Um, uh, it's just, this is kind of a snapshot of something that's happening, but you don't get any answers at all. And I think that actually, the mystery behind that makes it scarier. So if they had actually explained any of these things, I think it would have taken away a lot from the film. A lot, mm. It would have ruined the whole atmosphere of it. So the fact that you don't get any of that information is what makes it even scarier and darker. And yeah. it, like you said, it, it looks stunning. 
you can almost because the faces of and the characters were covered up you can almost feel like this might actually be a live action video because you don't have any of the um, telltale signs that you usually get from any kind of no matter how photorealistic faces are you can still tell they're not real but because you can't see their faces it, it could almost be a live yeah. action shot because it looks so good that's a good point yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, mean, I, th I think. Go ahead, Tracy. No, you go ahead first. I I, I agree. The ambiguity uh, of context only enhances the unsettling nature of it uh, of the story. Um, the perf I was absolutely blown away by the performances, which R Ricky had had called out that the voice work and 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 the motion capture work just. Just stunning, really, really stunning. Um, yeah, it it, uh, it just beautiful in a, in a in a creepy way, you know. Uh, that that whatever the object was, um, uh, just extraordinarily. I, I could not take my eyes off the screen, and as I'm watching it, I'm I'm thinking, this is real time, you know. I mean, it's it's. It's really a, uh, it's cutting edge, I think, in terms of what, what can be done with what I assume is a group of amateurs, you know, that's not a professional, uh, you know, Hollywood funded company. This is amazing, amazing work. And uh, I really liked, I think my favorite aspect of the whole film was when they would take us inside or very up close to the helmet of the main, let's call him protagonist. Uh, to really get us inside of his fear, his apprehension, you could really sense the when he was having difficult kind of difficulty breathing, it, like he's not getting enough air. It was palpable, and to to pull that off in a uh, an animation is hard. Yes, you know, um, it's 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 easier, I think, if if uh, if it is live action. It's easier to relate to and connect with that right. character and go, oh, wow, yeah. But knowing all along, this is animated. I mean, I knew it was. And yet, yeah, it really, I found myself, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very empathetic movie, movie viewer. If somebody on the screen is about to cry, if I'm not paying attention to myself, my face will grimace up and I'll kind of do the same thing. <laughs> my mom is the same way. It's totally <laughs> unconscious. And so for something like this, yeah, where this guy is anxious and breathing, I feel like a little bit of a heaviness in my chest. Um, yeah. And that's to me, that's a sign of, what, wow, they really uh, did something extraordinary here to evoke that. So, um, yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, the first thing I wanted to do when it was done was watch it again. Yeah. Just to see what I missed because there was, there was so much happening. Yeah. So much happening. Yeah. So Tracy, what are your thoughts? Well, Yes, I think um, I agree with all of what you've just said there, Phil. Uh, I think the mocap and the animation is incredibly well done. I think the lighting and the camera angles are particularly interesting in this one. Plus that use of um, third person and first person. So you're in his helmet and then you're looking at him and, and all the drama that's kind of unfolding. And, it, and it's clearly, you know, that psychological perspective of one of the characters is the kind of the main driving force for the whole build up of tension between that character this kind of weird anomalous thing and these people these other folks that seem to be kidnappers of of that person i don't know if that's what they actually are but i would say that the story itself isn't terribly clear and in the end i'm not actually sure what happened to whom or why it happened hmm. and um, i'm guessing there's possibly a bit of a backstory to it but i don't know what that is um so I started to read some of the comments um, and, you know, particularly about this sort of weird anomaly, um, which appeared to be this kind of, uh, you know, from what I could detect from what other people were saying, it, it was a disassembled nuclear reactor core. That's what they seem to be saying it was. Um, but I wasn't the only one that didn't understand what that was, um, clearly from the, from the, the kind of comments. Um, there was one thing, one person that summed it up quite well, which was, what was it doing? Was it defending itself, granting a wish, or did pass, passing through the, the barrier break something? <laughs> Which I thought was a, a kind of an interesting observation on this on this weird thing that they were interacting with. Which was 
quite freaky, I have to say. Um, overall, though, I think what it got is that definite Eastern European aesthetic of grey and dirt and struggle mm. that we've talked about mm. before. Yeah, now, if yeah. you remember, we reviewed the ship in episode two of the podcast by Megnios, who was a Latvian artist. And this guy, I think, was Serbian. Um, released about the same sort of time. Uh, and super ironically, when I look back at that, it was also your pick, Ricky, and it was also shot in Unreal <laughs> Tournament 2004. <laughs> yes, so they... good point. Good point. <laughs> I like that gloomy stuff. Well, I have to, to say that um, one thing, the source for this it does the, the the film does read a little bit like a demo reel like a presentation in order to get on entree into creating more things on a professional level but it does borrow a source um which is a novel by the strugatsky brothers called roadside picnic uh russian science fiction which was made into a famous film by andrei tarkovsky called stalker in which there's a zone uh, that doesn't uh, agree with the laws of physics and strange things happen when you're around it. So it kind of assumes, it, it uses that as its basis for um, the story, uh, which, you know, that's okay, that's fine, but it's a, because it doesn't prep people who don't know that context, it leaves you in the lurch a bit. And like I said, it's a little showy, I think, because if I think of it's a bit of a demo reel. But aside from those things, which are, you know, they are important, I still think it has a great deal of uh, impact. It's very moody. It shows you what contemporary machinima can be that can be done in Unreal Engine. If somebody wants to use the Unreal Engine, which is free and has all kinds of free content, you can make interesting things. And that's why I chose it primarily. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Good pick, Excellent thank choice. you. All right, I'm really let's, move, let's move on to Tracy's picks. You've got two really good ones this time. I've got the an oldie one, and then, go on, sorry. The first <laughs> one is the Half-Life Alex movie, and then the second one is Scout versus Witch. Tell us about the um, Half-Life Alex movie. Well, I, actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you about the other one first. Okay, that's it, Scout versus Witch. Scout versus Witch, um, a tale of boy meets ghoul. Um, by a guy called Randall Glass, released in 2012. Now, this was made in Source Filmmaker. I don't know if you guys remember it coming out um, way back then. I do, very much so. Okay, so um, what Randall had done was combined assets from Team Fortress 2 and Left 4 Dead. um, And he used, um, uh, for the the witch, he used, I think, Zed Brush, um, which he sculpted um, the the face to make... um, the character looked like it, it could say its lines. Um, but I have to say, he described the whole process of, of making the film as an exercise in pain from which he never recovered. I think it was pretty much the last film he ever made as as a machinima creator. Um, and it's this bizarre little tale of zombies, a witch, and a boy scout, which has apparently taken its inspiration from films such as 300, Army of Darkness, The Matrix, Blood Feast, Samurai Showdown and so on and so on. So it's this kind of cult medley that he's put together. Um, it's got this great action sequence in it, um, and there's a oh, lot yeah. of blood and, blood and gore in it as well. Uh, and I recall at the time that this came out that um, it was one of the first to do what he did, which was combine the assets from these two different games, which is what led me to select it at the time for um, a public showcase, which I was um, doing at, at around about the same time that this, this film came came out. And I thought then that it looked good, and I still think, looking at it um, again now, some almost, uh, what, nine, nine years later, I still think that the choreography in the fight scene is, is the most impressive thing about yeah. it. Yeah, um, And the other thing, um, well, I was going to say, the other thing that I, I would, I, I would um, say about it is that when we were looking at the films that we picked this, this month, um, we're all picking things from pretty much the same time period. And a question I was going to ask you is, do you think that means that horror isn't a machinima genre anymore? Um, or, and that, that, folks, um, that folks haven't really sort of picked up horror uh, in the same kind of way that it was in fashion back then? Or 
you know, have thing, have people moved on to more um, soft horror taken from films like um, why don't we, the Twilight and what have you? Why don't we table that question and add it to our discussion uh, for next week? Because it's a yeah. long conversation and we sort of want to get through the rest of our films. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, those those with those kind of thoughts in mind, I, I then went looking for something that had a distinctly more contemporary style to it. Um, and I thought, well, one of the more horror genre games is Half-Life Alex, certainly as it was positioned to me. So I thought I'll see if I can find an example of machinima that had been made in Half-Life Alex. So that's why I set, um, ended up on my second film. Which, which actually is this cinematic retelling of the game. And it's basically a non-interactive interactive version of the game, um, which some, when I'm kind of looking at the comments, have described it as quite pointless. But then it's not that much different to, um, you know, how the live action um, turned out for World of Warcraft movie a few years ago. And, and furthermore, there's been a lot of calls for a movie to be made by Valve, or at least that Valve should commission one using the Half-Life Alex um, uh, game. So it's interesting that the one to respond to that call, I think, is a fan movie maker, Half Peeps. Mm. Um, so to be clear, I've not played the game, and I am, um, I'm kind of taking this second film that I've selected at face value. And, and one more thing to note, actually, is that the game, when it's played, is experienced fully in VR. So making a linear movie out of out of this game is definitely going to provide you with a completely different experience in terms yeah, of the way exactly. that right. the machinima creator traverses the game, but also how it's represented on the screen rather than this immersive thing. Um, so do you want me to talk about this, this game, this machinima as well? And then we'll talk about the comments to both of these. So sure. Quite different. So the plot of the game is that this, um, it's the story of this impossible fight against this, against this vicious alien race known as the Combine. And it's set between the events of Half-Life and Half-Life 2. And in the game, you play the lead character, this character called Alex Vance. Uh, and you are, as this character, humanity's only chance for survival. So now to this movie that's been made by Half-Peeps. And it's uh, interesting that it's been serialized. Um, and it's still a very early stage project. So we're really only talking today about episode one. Uh, and it's 21 minutes long. Um, so I'm not too sure how many episodes we're going to be looking at here. If indeed it's going to be made in the style of a, a feature length film when it's when it's finished or whether there's um, a different plan for the serialization strategy. Um, so now what I think happens here is this film immediately grabs you with its kind of vaguely world of... Um, um, World of Warcraft, no, I mean War of the Worlds and kind of cyberpunk Ready Player One-esque kind of look and feel to it, which I think is really quite well done. And also what's very clear when you look at this is the, is the absolutely stunning level of detail in the game from the, um, the you know, the, the way the skins of the buildings, um, you know, the detail in that to the, to the orange peel effect on the skin of the characters, um, as well as the soundscape and the music. Um, the, the detail in it is is stunning, I think. Um, but I think in terms of a serialization, the episode starts off with the end point of the whole film. And then the story basically sets the scene for a part of that, but doesn't get to the end point again. So without the other parts of the serial, you're kind of missing a little bit of what it's trying to achieve. Um, so this this particular episode is more the build-up to something horrific rather than the actual showing of it, other than through that end, that end point. And what I wanted to say here also is that it's yet another example, which I think is very interesting, of the use of source filmmaker and mocap. Most of the ones that we've talked about today are using mocap in some way. And once again, it's iPiSoft's Markless system um, that's clearly had a very big role in generating the movements and the characters. So, you know, I think uh, a, a few years ago, we, we, we never really thought mocap was going to have that much of an impact. Now we can see it on reflection that it's had a much bigger impact than we ever really uh, reviewed at the, at the time that it was unfolding, right. Right. Um, which I think is, is 
you know, an interesting observation on the on the growth of mocap in itself. Um, but overall, I thought it was um, well made. It's interesting. It's using a lot of film tropes in its um, storytelling method, um, but it's um, pure game in its content. It's not, you know, it's not an independent story, if you like. Um, and I think it possibly might be a good example of long form machinima if it's all stitched together. But I think it's probably too early to say that that's what you'll get with it. Right, um, right. And again, what, what, what did you guys think to it? Well, I'll start. Um, so the first, I wanted to make a comment on the the, the mocap thing. I think uh, I think possibly an element of that 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 influenced a lot of thinking that well, this isn't going to be uh, a big part of things. Was if you remember when mocap first uh, emerged. There were a few who were dabbling with it, like Hugh Hancock did on on his uh, Warcraft short. If you haven't seen that, it's it's stunning. But the the cost uh, was prohibitive for most amateur filmmakers at the time. That has changed uh, in no small part due to Valve. Uh, making their line of equipment and it's driven those costs down. So now it is very, you know, you've got the connect and you've got other, all these other options uh, for VR and for motion capture that are um, considerably more affordable. So I think that's a big influence on why we're going to see more of that as well. Um, and also the fact that I think it was harder to use back then, you know, 10 plus years ago, it was just harder to get good results. And that has all come a long way as well. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what the role of that's going to be. I mean, the fact that uh, uh, it's in Nightmare Puppeteer, which we talked about last last episode, mm. very exciting development. And the fact that Mike could get it in the game so quickly, I think that says a lot for how the overall infrastructure underlying all these machinima tools has uh, become more welcoming to that technology. And uh, so that's going to be exciting to see. Um so I'll comment on these in reverse order. The Half Like Alex movie. I'm going to blame this on COVID. Uh, if, <laughs> before we started recording, if you remember, I told you, you know, you're asking how I'm doing, and I said, well, I've I've got 100 percent of my energy back uh, for about 60 percent of the day, um, and I I watched this movie at about my 62 percent mark. So my brain was mush. I've never played Half-Life Alex. I have played Half-Life 2. So I I came into it with a little bit of an advantage there and found stuff to admire. But honestly, I couldn't follow a thing that was going on. But I don't blame the film for that. Uh, I blame my mushy brain for that. So I'm going to revisit uh, Half-Life Alex uh, later. Um, Scout versus Witch. I like, I really enjoyed it from a technical perspective. Um I feel like maybe during that very well orchestrated fight sequence, when it kind of shifted to almost a 2D scroller effect, you know, that maybe they, they lingered on that just a tad too long. Um, but I don't know. I'm a big story guy. And it just didn't, it didn't do much for me in that realm. So while I did really like the visuals of it, and I'm I'm I've been involved with this long enough to remember what a major moment it was when he brought together those different game assets. Uh, it was it was it was a marker, you know. It was it was it was a, an amazing moment. Um, that obviously has a little bit less impact on me now, you know. So um, I don't know. I I I, I would have loved to see the same level of skill that was applied to the mechanics of that movie be also applied to the, what it was about, which I feel like kind of just yeah, that's a was, good was an afterthought really. And that's, yeah. that's not necessarily a criticism. It's just, it's definitely a matter of, of preference, personal preference. There's some people who just, who that, that action is enough. And if, if you're one of those people who, uh, who like that for its own sake, you're going to love this. It is, it is, brutal and it's it's the kind of of 
graphic violence that really never made it to television until The Walking Dead made it to television. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's extraordinarily graphic uh, and and really well done. Um, but yeah, story wise, it just didn't didn't grip me, and and I. I don't know if it was a mood thing or if that's just who I am, but I just I I kind of wanted a little bit more to that part of it and and looked for it, but I just couldn't get it. So you, you anyway. could probably make that criticism for a lot of machinima, even from yeah. the beginning to the present day, <laughs> is that it's often technically a, a kind of showcase for yeah. what they could do with it, you know, with a few yucks thrown in, a sophomoric yucks. I'm not saying the Scout versus which is sophomoric. I, it, it's a very funny and black humor but you're right yes. um it has that again early in the in, early in the podcast i talked about so much of machinima being presentational they just they're present presenting this thing and they know they're doing it for a certain audience who are all going to love the new innovation and everything but looking at them later when that isn't present it changes the way you see them well you think about so many of the video games uh were and and to some degree are uh, you know, I mean, id Software, who really paved the whole road that we're walking on for Machinima with with Doom and Quake and all that. I mean, let's face it, folks, nobody's winning Best Writer for any of that, you know? <laughs> it, that was not their strength, and they knew it, and they'd laugh about it, you know? But people didn't care, you know? They enjoyed the game yeah. for what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bar's been raised since then, I think, even in the games themselves. Yes. And so you've got something like Red Dead or... Half-Life 2, for, for, for that matter, that the, the story behind that world, even back to Half-Life 1, extraordinary. So, but that was, it was exceptional at the time that you have a first-person shooter game, Half-Life, and there's this compelling, uh, accessible narrative that runs through the whole series of games. So, and I think that more games nowadays do that, put story out in front, and then, and then also try yeah. to marvel you with the technology. Yeah. So you figure that the guys who made this film had been raised on a diet of games that really didn't give a crap about that yeah. for a good decade. You know, so it's understandable. That's um, my complaint about uh, both films. Although I have to say, I enjoyed watching them. I thought that they were fun, and I think the great majority of people will have no problem with them, and I think they'll find them fascinating and interesting. But I had a little trouble because they just lacked story in them. And I thought the Half-Life Alex thing was more style than substance. <laughs> it was a, a very self-conscious film in which there were all these moving camera shots and cuts to emphasize the textures of the walls and everything to, to sort of impress you with their filmmaking. Um, so I like, I like it's a personal preference, but I like films that are a little rougher around the edges, hmm. like like um, the tunnel, civil civil protection, the tunnel. I like it when it's a little rough, you know. the The showy ones they tend to keep me at arm's length. I don't get involved with them as much, but I do have to say they were very beautiful. They were obviously made with great care and both of them are fun to watch. So that's just a personal thing, personal <clears throat> preference. I am going to put your points to half peeps when I talk to him. So I've, um, I'll be interviewing, viewing him for the podcast. So that's great. I'm going to ask him what, where, where he's going with the story, because I think, I think he's got this kind of interesting approach, which was what of the game can he use to tell and you know a narrative uh a, a, you know how can you deliver a narrative in that game world to tell a story um so I th it'll be interesting to see where, he, okay. where he's taking that and i'll take those points too and i think be what sure to include in that uh that ricky likes it rough i like it rough <laughs> i like it rough man gritty and rough <laughs> we'll do. So, why don't we close with uh, damien your thoughts about it you've been quiet at this whole time um, yeah, I'll start with Scouse versus the Witch. I spent many hundreds of hours playing Left 4 Dead 2 with a group of online friends. And so it, the game is as gory as the film is. So I think they mm -hmm. just took that gore straight from the game. Um, so the way the Scout meets the Witch and has this fight scene 
is basically how players think they're going to handle the witch in the game when they first encounter her. And then... Ah. Oh. Uh, because in the game, she's just kind of... She's sobbing, and you hear this crying sound in the distance, so you know that there's someone coming. And you think, oh, she'd be fine. It's no problem to take her out. But um, as soon as you get close, she starts growling, and then she'll jump up and attack the closest person. She's really fast. She pins them on the ground so they can't move, and she's just tearing them to pieces. And if you're not, if your teammates aren't quick to take her out, that person is dead. And then she'll jump on the next person, and she can take out the team very quickly. So the way he imagines this sort of slow motion, three hundred style fight where he just kills everything that's not how it goes <laughs> so he was actually riffing on a situation from the game yeah oh and that's interesting that's cool. i wouldn't cool. have known that not playing it interesting yeah. um yeah because the whole game kind of emphasizes a four-person team and you have to work together and if some if one person goes off and does their own thing they're gonna die because you need to stay together uh the game is is extremely tough so the way it ended was kind of a wink to that then too yeah that, nice. that gives me something new to admire about it because that's that's a, a long term tradition of machinima to yes to comment yeah. on the game world and I I did not pick up on that that's very no, I must admit, that, I that's didn't either. yeah well I, I guess it helps to play hundreds of hours <laughs> of the game. yeah exactly <laughs> um so moving on to uh, the Half Life film I've never played I've played the first Half Life game but I've never I haven't played two and I haven't played Alex and I'm, I don't have a VR helmet so I'm never going to play it. Um, so it doesn't really grab me uh, as a non-fan. I think what I do like is it gives fans of the, the series who don't have VR um, helmets a chance to experience the story That's of this new game that was released yes. last year. Um, because uh, th- even though the prices of them are coming down, they're still fairly expensive. And how many people are going to want to buy the VR helmet just to play one game? And right, how, much, yeah. how much they love Half-Life too it's still a big expense for one game so anyone who doesn't want to buy it can still experience the events of the game so i hope it uh, gives those fans a chance to do that um Great point yeah and i also want to talk a little bit about motion capture because uh, i've been i've got a my own sort of motion capture setup and i use the perception neuron which i saved up very carefully for mm-hmm. uh, i got the v1 suit mm. um <clears throat> and I started doing it for sort of fight scenes because I wanted to do some very specific things that I couldn't animate by hand. Uh, and then as I got learned to do it, I started experimenting with what other scenes can I do motion capture for. So I did one video where I just did every single character motion, even if they're just standing and talking. And I watched it back. I thought, this is so much better than um, having stock animations because each character is completely unique in what they're doing and if you can act out the scenes and you can give each one their own sort of mannerisms uh, and they can react very specifically to the dialogue uh, and you get something very unique and special which stock animations no matter how good they are just don't have so i, I feel like that that's a good uh, thing for machine people uh, the commission the community to have available to them and i'm glad it is much more affordable now than it was 10 years ago because no one could afford it really back then. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you're doing for Heir to the Empire, Damien? Are you are you basically mocapping everything? Pretty much everything in there. Oh, I don't do awesome. any stunt any stunt work where you see someone flying through the air or landing. I don't do because I don't want to damage the suit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I've learned how to walk like Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. <laughs> nice, nice. It's so good. Thank you. It's good. Yeah, it, that and the the uh, the lip sync too. I mean, the first episode is good, but and so I, I saw some other people commenting on this on the some of the more recent episodes that it seems like it's it's getting better and better every episode. Uh, you should be very proud of that. It's it's really really a joy to watch. I, I look forward to every episode you release. Like I. I remember I saw an announcement for one and it's like, oh, yes, I can't wait for this. Then I look, Thursday? What? Yeah. I like to tease Good people. stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I thought I should share my experience with motion capture since we were yeah. talking about it. Um, I was thinking that might be a good Let's Play video for the future, Damien, is do a quick thing on how you do your mocap. <laughs> okay. I'll just... 
I've never filmed myself doing mocap before. <laughs> uh, consider it. It's a possibility. Okay, I'll, I'll give some thought. <laughs> Speaking of mocap, I, 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 I had a memory as we were talking. When IPISoft first came out, Michael Nikonov was the uh, yes. head of that. It's a Russian guy. Yes. And they were at SIGGRAPH the first year. And I remember going up to their booth and talking to him, to introducing him. And he knew me from the machinima community. That huh. uh, seems that all of the people at uh, then uh, IPISoft were huge fans of machinima, especially of Half-Life. And so their first release of their uh, program could natively export mocap information directly into the source level editor, which was probably part of the reason why so many source filmmakers jumped on that. Because getting traditional motion capture data, you had to convert it to a format that the source filmmaker could accept and use. Whereas IPISoft, you could go directly to it. And it was cheap too, nice. um, so I, I, I that was part of the reason why it was widespread. And IPISoft was released or, or launched at one of the Machinima Film Festivals. Ah, it, I don't know whether it was two thousand and six. It wasn't. It wasn't two thousand and seven, and I don't think it was two thousand eight. It was like two thousand and six or two thousand and five. You, you ah. guys will probably remember that better than I. I would, but. Um, uh, I happened to interview Michael for the uh, Pioneers book um, about mm. mocap um, yeah. and and its growing use in machinima. Cool. Um, and he's a big fan of machinima, which is evident sure. in the, in the films that we've reviewed today. I think you might consider interviewing him for a, a small mm. piece for the uh, podcast. Definitely, I think he's a very interesting person, and um, mm-hmm. I always liked talking to him whenever I met him. I'll and that's that. also a few great. That's also an interesting future discussion topic that we could consider is the use of mocap. I think I'm going to do something a, a let's play on the mocap, a longer version using Nightmare Puppeteer and the Connect, um, because there were some problems putting the Connect together that I think I could share to help people along if they wanted to use it. Because I mean, for fifty bucks, you got a perfect mocap thing that's going to work really interesting. So nice. That sounds good. All right, that's the end of our uh, film section. Thank you, guys. As usual, I just love talking to you about Machinima Films. It's my favorite part of the whole series of uh, podcasts that we do. As usual, you can uh, contact us through completelymachinima.com. Um, uh, let us know what you think, whether we've made mistakes, and we really want to hear from you because it shapes our future content. Thanks, everybody, for your uh, selections this week. As usual, they're great. Um, next week we'll be doing our machinima discussion so thanks for watching or listening we'll see you next time bye bye and now for something completely machinima machinima